episode of Two Drop Kicks from Wit Noble, a couple of drop kicks from Wit Noble. It's a podcast of uh, Western Bulldogs football fans law. Um, you're here with your hosts, Jason Murray and Nick Murray. Um, we've got an action-packed episode this week. Uh, it's been a couple of footy, footy games between episodes. We've got a lot to cover with match reviews in the AFL men's. Um, we've got a year in review for the AFL W. We're going to go way back to a great game, 1991, Footscray versus Carlton at the Wit, Wit Noble. And then we're back for another look at Legends of Bulldogs past. So Nick, um, a couple of weeks in um, from the last episode, we've got two games to um, review. The first one was an absolute ripper if you're a Bulldogs fan. Good Friday clash against North Melbourne and Marvel. A huge record-breaking win by the Bulldogs, 128-point winning margin. Josh Bruce went crazy, 10 goals, four of which came in the final quarter. Um, I know you were there, we were up and about. I wasn't actually quite there, Jay, so I was uh, on the way to uh, to uh, Tullamarine for my big trip up north, up to... Um, there in Dar- spirit. I was there in spirit, but I was listening on the, on the ride in. It was uh, quite quite amazing. We haven't had any of numbers like that since... Uh, I'm thinking Kevin Beasley time, sorry, Simon Beasley time, so that was that's a right. big... 87, 10 yeah. goals against Brisbane, that's right. Yeah, everyone gets 10 goals against Brisbane at that time of the year. Um, so it was quite amazing, just it turned into a bit of a clinic, it turned it into a bit of a... a it did, the game was really out, out, out and over by about the third quarter, and the, the real excitement was about how far the doggies could take the win and how many goals could our forwards snatch. Um, really pleasing to see Adam Trelaw really coming into his own. He had a huge game, 27 disposals, 9 inside 50s, uh, and also had a great performance by 50 gamer Tim English, who uh, both of them kicked three goals each in the game. And again, the, uh, the centre line with Josh Dunkley and Jack McRae both finishing with a huge amount of disposals, 33 touches each. Um, also, Easter Wool was back. Um, yeah, it's it great, great to see the ex-captain back and fit. 22 disposals, eight marks, and um, a good return from a troubling hamstring injury. And uh, he's leaked coming back too, which is great to see. It's, it's always good to see Easton sort of taken flight and, and given it a bit of a go. So that's well, he's really fit in quite, jump back in like where he was before. Yeah, really missing that inset mark, that dash across the, the back line. Um, we did have, a, unfortunately, Ryan Gardner go down early in the game with a nasty AC uh, uh, joint injury on the shoulder. He's going to be out for a number of weeks, uh, but we will have some means coming in to make up for the numbers in the back line. Um, just to reflect on, on the score, um, it was the highest club's highest score and biggest winning margin against North Melbourne. Um, 167 points eclipsing a previous record of 164 points set in 1984. Um, and it was also the club's greatest ever winning margin against any team, being their 120 point defeat of Melbourne in 1985. So, uh, with that kind of performance, uh, the doggies are really exciting to watch, scoring big um, and a very promising um, um, start to the year with um, big wins like this on the books. And that, that was something coming into this season was about uh, how the, that forward line was going to settle in um, because we had a lot of lot of tools um, and it was good to see that they had a really good balance. It was great. Bruce um, sort of turned up and, and uh, has been... A he loves of, playing North Melbourne. He loves them. He, I think... I think Two thirds of his goals that he's kicked for the Bulldogs has been against 
um, North Melbourne. So he um, always likes to, it's one team that he can't wait to play again. I think that's round 20 or round 19, I think the next time we catch up with him and he's um, the probably champion of the bit to see what comes through that way. Uh, also good to see the Doggies take a real ruthless streak into the game, not to put the knife down once they've got ahead, uh, but to drive it home. So um, good to see them push as hard as they could to get as many goals and as big a winning margin as they could. They could have easily turned off the gas. But certainly when you're trying to contend in the finals and for a premiership, you need to have that ruthlessness and you need to push and push and push. So really impressed. Um, in terms of um, you know the, the, the stats side of things, it was clear the Doggies had more of the ball, ran harder, ran further. They um, eclipsed North on disposals by more than 100 disposals. Um, they beat them in the clearances 37 to 24. They beat them in the inside 50, 64 to 33. And Mark's inside 50, 24 to nine. So that uh, triple-headed monster forward line that the Doggies have now mm. with Norton, English and Bruce um, is a real threat to any of the backline teams that present themselves to front up against the Bulldogs these days. Um, Bruce uh, um, was very excited at the end of the game when he got interviewed by a couple of outlets. Uh, obviously very excited to get the 10 goals, but excited for the team. Um, and uh, was even talking about you know, a premiership window opening up for the Doggies. Um, my message to Bruce is put a lid on it. It's early in the season. Uh, but really, really uh, good to see him getting the benefits of a really hard pre-season, losing all that weight, working really hard. And he's up and about, he's quick, um, he's putting pressure when the ball goes to uh, the backs uh, of the, the opposition and he's starting to um, get some of the benefits of all that time he put in for training over the summer. And he had, had a fair few knocks, uh, knockers in last year, uh, just not performing to live. And I think it was great that he sort of acknowledged that and he put the effort in over the pre-season and he's come back really strong. And um, did we now really see the, 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 uh, the capabilities for, for Josh in that forward line and seeing more than just a, a tall um, target. He's, he's someone who can keep pushing after that ball and running forward. Um, and pick up those um, little, little uh, ones on the ground as well. So he's he's looking pretty good now. Um, yeah, so um, good for Bruce, um, and you can't keep three forwards down at all at the same time, which we're seeing in terms of the way Doggy's mm-hmm. playing. That, that came to bear in the next game that we need to have a look at, which is the Bulldogs versus Brisbane, played in a very wintry setting at Mars Stadium at Ballarat. Um, I always get a bit concerned when we hear about the games going up to Ballarat. It hasn't necessarily been uh, a ground where we've had a great home ground advantage in. It's always cold, it's always wintry, uh, but the Doggies this time took on a very serious and strong opposition in the Brisbane Lions um, and still came home with a 19-point win. Um, were, you, were, were you at this game, Nick? No. Missed no. that one as well? That, I was still in Darwin, sorry. <laughs> um, so I missed out on that one as well, but I did get to see a, a big chunk of the game. and. And it was a bit of a bit of a, a tussle at the start, um, going back and forth. Um, but it was that third quarter once again where the, where the dogs came through and and really took control of the game. Um, there was, uh, I guess, it's a really good. Um, well, actually, sorry, it was the second quarter where we, we sort of started to get ascendancy over Brisbane. Um, English come, uh, popping up with three goals, Norton with two goals. Um, a big day out for English. He had an yes. absolute ripper of a game. Contested marks, goals, um, a real presence and strength across the ground. Starting to really see him develop as a strong ruckman and a key forward. Um, a, a strong 19-point win by the Doggies, um, 73 to 54. And you're right. It probably was the second quarter where they kicked four goals and um, got away to a handy lead. 
um, and they were able to hold off a, a strong um, Brisbane line comeback in the second half. Um, no weak opposition Brisbane, Brisbane Lions, a permanently finalist from last year for a strong midfield, um, as well as some really key tall forwards, Danahar in the forward line. Yep, um, Hipwood, some real strength around the ground. Yep, Hipwood as well. He's, he's got a bit of a leap on him too. Um, and um, Adam Trelaw is, is really settling quite well with the dogs now. He had another blinder of a game and um, he's uh, quite you know, enjoying that, I guess, that he really settled in with the dogs now, which is great to see. Um, and you can see the enjoyment on his face when he's chasing after Racking up these the disposals, racking up the tackles. Um, you know, as well as English with his um, great game, Jack McRae and Adam Trelaw had a field day in the middle. Um, McRae with 32 possessions, 8 tackles. Adam Trelaw 29 possessions and 10 tackles. And a bit more inside work at, mm. during this game. Winning the hard ball um, in the contest. Really pleasing to see, and he, as you say, he's fitting in very nicely. Welcome by the club, welcome by the supporters, and starting to really deliver in terms of his performances on the field. Josh, <coughs> he's, he's good mate, he's mm. good buddy. Josh Dunkley also had a ripper of a game 27 disposals, 8 tackles. Um, he also, uh, Dunkley, broke the record for the most smothers recorded the first four rounds of a season with 10, and there was a bit of a highlights reel showing the doggies. Website that people should should check out as well, where he puts his body on the line to to yeah, put in those extra one percenters that we really need to, mm. to make us a great team. So that's that, um, that that hunger is not coming through that you're always going after the ball and and Dunks has really um, he's kept up kept going his, his quality. We can see how the other teams are sort of hovering around to try to maybe pick him up by the end of the season, but um, fingers crossed we don't see the the end of Dunks by the end of the year. Uh, late inclusion with Lewis Young, he, he battled well in defence, 17 disposals, 5 marks. Um, if you look at the stats, it was a bit more of an even contest in terms of disposals. The Lions led 361 to 347, and they led in clearances as well, 43 to 41, which points to their, their strength across their, their centre line um, and across their team. Um, doggies are, uh, as you would, would believe, led the handballs 154 to 129 and, and also led inside 50s 61 to 44 and tackles 81 to 50. So showed that they really committed themselves to working hard all day across all four quarters. Um, they, um, in summary, I suppose, covered more ground and worked a lot harder than the Lions mm -hmm. over the day to win the contest. Um, I did have a look at, it, um, at some of the tracking information in terms of the performances of some of the key Bulldogs in Bond and Pally covered the most ground for the Doggies, 14.9 kilometres over the day, which is a huge effort. And Johansson um, was uh, the, the speediest uh, Bulldog on the ground, clocking 33.9 kilometres per hour, if you'd believe it. Mm. Um, so very, very quick. Um, Bond and Pally, um, when you look at him, doesn't look like he's running quick or running far, but he certainly is. And Johansson's obviously known for his speed and good to see him back, back on deck and working hard. Um, one disappointment was the uh, the incident with Caleb uh, yep. with a dangerous tackle. Um, you looked at the video, Nick. What did you think? It was uh, two actions, and they and they don't really like two actions in, in the uh, in the AFL. So it was a very strong tackle, uh, but that second movement where he just sort of snapped um, that snapping action to bring the other player down to the ground, it was just probably a little bit um, a little bit naughty. Yeah, so they, they, they took the week. Um, they acknowledged um, it was a dangerous tackle, um, worthy of a suspension. Um, he'll get a, a week's rest, 
you can see it with Stephen Martin who I hear is having another managed week's rest in the next game that's yes, coming up that's right, yeah. um, as well. So yeah. did you want to have a quick chat about the Gold Coast? What's, what's the chances today uh, at Marble with Gold Coast? So. I think it's um, looking pretty good. I think we've, we've got um, Jordan Sweet coming up for his first game, which was a bit special. He got his, um, his jump given to him by his mum. So that's always a big, big nice little moment. Yeah, yep. yeah, but he sort of forgot to say thanks, Mum. But that, that's just another side thing. Um, Jordan Sweet's coming on, which which is really good. So um, he'll step into the ruck. He's a ruckman. Yes, yep. So he'll he'll um, go with um, with English this week. Um, so it's good to see how he's going. He's been battling for a spot in the team for two years, so um, yep. it's good to see him finally break through. And um, and then um, we lose Caleb, but we've got uh, come back Crozier. Yes, high flyer. Yes, and yes. another key uh, component of the doggies' back line. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, so good to see him make a speedy reco- recovery to his injury, which mm-hmm. is similar to what happened to Ryan Gardner in the Good Friday match against North Melbourne. So uh, I'll try to get the end of the game uh, today and uh, hopefully um, we can um, start the season 5-0, and zero, mm-hmm. which I'm told will be the best start to any AFL, BFL season f- for the doggies since 1946. Um, so at this point, the doggies are up and about for zip, and we're hoping they can make it another win mm. uh, this week. And then they move into a couple of interesting games against GWS and Richmond. So looking forward to that one. Um, do you want to take a bit of time to reflect on AFLW? And yeah, let, let's have a look. We had um, coming into this year with our AFLW team, um, we sort of had a bit of a, a troublesome 2020. Um, it was a bit of a challenging year for, for the girls. One and five, that's right. So yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a great result. Um, probably reflected where the club was at, at in terms of its development. Yep. Um, they'd lost a, a few um, key players and they uh, were looking to regenerate with youth um, back in Coatesburg to get um, his team um, into shape over a number of years. Yep. Um, a lot of young people coming through the draft and coming through as new recruits. And that's something that um, that the dogs have done last couple of seasons is that they have really gone to get that, that creme of the crop at the top of the uh, of, of the trade period and sorry of the draft period in trying to really push to get that number one number two um, spot on the draft. So we there's a philosophy of the dogs at the moment um, when it comes to the women's team is that we are after quality youth to build upon. Um, so we start the season off um, on the end of January versus St Kilda. It's um, the dogs went down um, fifty-one to forty-two. Um, so, but there were some really good signs coming through. We had um, Ellie Blackburn stepping up quite well as as, as the captain. Um, Izzy Huntington had sort of returned to the forward line, which is where she's been. Um, we start. She started off before she got that knee injury a couple of seasons ago. Um, and there's some really good signs coming through. Um, yeah, just bested on the day um, in terms of the amount of ball that they held. I thought it might have been one that the doggies should have got up and they, they certainly threw to win that game. But when you look at the stats and look at who had the, the ball the most, who had the ball for the longest time and used it better, um, the doggies in, in that clash just didn't, um, didn't top St Kilda who wanted it a bit more. So um, a disappointing loss um, and uh, it quite closely resembled another loss we had against North Melbourne, a similar Later close contest. Yes. But you look at the stats of both those games, and in both cases, uh, the Saints and uh, North Melbourne um, both had more of the ball, used it better, had more of the ball for longer. Um, we, we did end up um, also losing against Collingwood and Adelaide over the year. Um, uh, those two teams in, in, the, in, 
in the finals. Um, um, so they're the type of teams you need to beat. Um, didn't didn't get close to them, and I think uh, uh, you know that that's the challenge for the Dogs moving forward to lift their standards uh, to be able to challenge those teams. Um, they did have other um, other wins against Carlton, Geelong, Melbourne, GWS, and Richmond. They were undefeated at home. Um, the end of the year record was mm-hmm. five and four. Um, and certainly the challenge that Burke made to the team in a, in a late speech at the end of the year was, this year you've lifted your standards. If you want to be successful in years coming, you'll need to lift your standards further and challenge them to do that. Um, you look at the uh, the roster of players, and they've got a lot of experienced players with a lot of games under their belt. Ali Blackburn, Hannah Scott, Kirsty Lamb, Brooke Langland, Kirsty McLeod, Bailey Hunt, Angela Gogus, Naomi Ferris, Bonnie Toogood, and Deanna Berry as some of the sort of key senior players who make up the core of the group. And, and you mentioned that youth policy. You can have a look at um, players with um, less games under the belt. So let's have a look at players under 20 games. Eleanor Brown, Isabel Huntington, Celine Moody, Elizabeth Georgia-Thathis, Ashley Guest. Um, and then you have a look at players under 10 games. Jess Fitzgerald, Katie Lynch, Isabel Pritchard, Nell Morris-Dalton and Sarah Hartwig. So you can see those players under 20 and under 10, and, and obviously um, when Ellie Blackburn talks about the team, she talks about a lot of 18 and 19-year-old players on the roster, and then you can see they're reflected how many games have actually played, and really you need a good 20, 25 games under your belt to get that maturity and to get that experience to develop into a strong, mature player for a team. And you can see that the Doggies have got great players, up-and-coming players coming through, less than 20 games, less than 10 games, and they're the type of players who'll take the doggies forward in years to come. Um, some accolades this year, some of the recognitions for mm. some of the great performances and, and consistency of some of the players over 2021 this year. We had four Bulldogs named in the AFLPA's 22 under 22 squad for 2021. Alan Moore Brown, Katie Lynch, Jess Fitzgerald, and a second nomination for Izzy Huntington. Yep. Um, Brown, um, as we've spoken about before, had a great year, averaging 11 disposals. Four, four tackles, three marks per match, strong in defence, and led the club for intercept possessions with 58. Um, she also received a Rising Star nomination. Lynch had a breakout year for the Doggies in defence as well. Um, she came over from Collingwood. Um, she played every match and recorded career best um, game in round eight, 14 touches, six tackles. Um, we're really excited by Jess Fitzgerald and, and her yeah, performances over the year. So. Started the year um, um, in the first game against St Kilda, round one. Um, she was picked number two um, in the national draft in 2020, and she aver- averaged 10 possessions and four tackles. Um, she picked up a Rising Star uh, nomination in round two, and she's one of the um, three nominees for Gold of the Year for that um, inspiring run down in Cadinia Park, if you remember. Yes, yeah, she's, um, she's got a bit of run on her. She's very pacey, so when she puts the burners on, she just goes and... A lot, of, a lot of excitement when she um, when she was so so uh, successful in in kicking those goals um, and just a really bright bright spark that we've got at the dogs and and I think that's she's going to be a great um, member of the team for the for years to come. And she can skull a glass of wine that I saw on the front bar. <laughs> so um, yes, yeah, she's, uh, she's a bit of a character. Um, we also had um, Huntington uh, as the club's lead goal kicker this year, twelve. Um, and leading uh, the league for contested marks of 21 and um, another year of accolades for, for the former number one draft pick. Mm. Uh, she was also named in the AFLW All-Australian squad and the AFLW Team of the Year uh, last, yep. last uh, recently as well. 
Um, I've noted previously in, in chatting about Huntington, I'd like to see her move up the ground. She's a, she's a key position player, but I'd like to see her moving full forward up to centre-half forward. Yeah, I would be um, shades of Chris Grant, if you think of that way, really. Yeah. Um, she's got a very strong mark, and, and um, she, she hits the packs really hard, so I don't think that's coming through uh, with her play. Um, you've just moved on to the, the, the team of the year from... Um, uh, from the, the women's team, uh, Ali Blackburn was another one who um, got onto the the team the, on the interchange bench with with Izzy Huntington. Ali's just um, shone in her leadership role this year, and um, I was reading an article last night from um, from Kirsty Lamb uh, that she wrote for the AFL Players website, and there's nothing but um, uh, um, a lot of respect that's coming through. Um, she's a great leader and she's um, really stepped up since um, since that person we do not name, Brennan, um, went to another team. Um, That's right, so she's uh, picked up a role as sole captain, I think, last year and, and certainly has been an inspirational leader in the club, um, particularly bringing her experience to bear in bringing uh, those young, uh, young players along. Um, when a game needs to be won, she steps up, as a good captain mm-hmm. does. Um, she had a stellar this, this year. This year, she uh, recently was awarded uh, best captain in the Most Valuable Player awards. Um, her season was averaged 19 disposals, five tackles, three clearances. As you said, um, she's been selected in the AFLW All Australian team. Um, she was also selected in the AFL Media's Team of the Year, um, and uh, she finished third in the AFLW Most Valuable Player count. Um, yeah. Fantastic player. Um, her teammates um, um, also shared in some of the recognition in the AFL um, Most Valuable Player Awards. We had Kirsty Lamb finishing third in the Most Courageous Award and Jess Fitzgerald finishing second in Best First Year Awards as well. So a lot of accolades across the team with some great performances and it bodes well for uh, pushing to the finals next year and the opportunity to get some experience under their belt in the FIFA pitch of finals games and to start to challenge some of those uh, stronger, more experienced teams which are fighting it out for finals and grand final today. And that, that's that's it. In the end, all these accolades are great to acknowledge, but um, it's to be there in the, for the final series is what we're really after. So um, next year, I think we're going to have a really um, strong year. I think we'll probably uh, recruit well again. Um, I know that, uh, that that's just, we've got some really good um, talent scouts for the dogs and what are we looking for Nick what, what are the what are the women's team looking for in terms of recruitment this year coming up I, th- I think it'd be good to get, get a um, another um, inside mid um, bit of grunt in the middle yeah I think, I think so I know there's some really good players at, um, at the other teams um, so for example you know someone of the same line of uh, uh, Brianna Davey from Collingwood um, should be great someone like her would be great to come in um, but it'll be really good to sort of see some, some good inside mids to really take control of that ball to, to push it forward um, I think it's right I think they do need a bit more grunt in the middle to support um, some of the players yeah. rotating through the centre maybe a couple of um, small forwards might be helpful as well mm-hmm. um, and I certainly think the work they've done to get some uh, key forwards uh, the, the twosome of Tugood and Huntington and then some of the strength in the back line will develop further um, but it would be a bit more grunt in the middle and a few more sneaky goal options would be good as well. So I think that's right. Hopefully we'll pick up a couple of up-and-coming stars in, in the next draft. I um, want to move now to uh, a bit of a footy flashback. Um, we've we've, we've uh, taken um, a look at 
some of the uh, pre prelim finals already, and then we just wanted to pick up another memorable game uh, this year uh, uh, that we're going to is 1991. It's round 11. It's Footscray versus Carlton at a wet and wintry uh, Western Oval then. And it was very, very wet and wintry. There's some footage floating around for the last half of that game, and it was it was footy of old. You know, footy I, think it, I think it was described that the ball was on the ground all the time. Yeah, it wasn't bouncing. Yeah. It'll, just, it'll hit, hit the ground and just go splat and just roll. Yeah. So it was the 2nd of June, 19... Uh, so this is, sorry, the um, 1991, uh, round 11. Um, and we had uh, 16,000 um, loyal supporters in attendance at a winter. I think I might have been there, Nick. Well, I was there. Yeah, I, was there. I think we were there. I think our recollections of looking at the scoreboard and seeing only points for Carlton, and yeah. that was the, 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 the tension and the excitement of the day was yes, to try to keep Carlton under, under King Goal. And like, Carlton did start off fairly well. They were getting the ball forward in the first quarter, but uh, just weren't able to... Um, to basically get through the big sticks, um, the the swirling winds of the of the then Western Oval uh, was just too much of, a, of uncertainty for them going forward. There were some um, it, it, dogs were kicked well in the first quarter, got two two five, so uh, they started off um, quite well in that sense. They were able to get get back and have a bit of a lead. And yeah, so this was this was Terry Wheeler's team. So this was shortly after um, eighty nine fight back. Yes. Um, so this was this um, group of players who took the club forward after the threat, threat of uh, 1989 and the merger talks. Um, the team included recruits like Terry Wallace, uh, Phil Cracker, uh, club legends like Doug Hawkins, Peter Foster, Rick Kennedy, Glenn Coleman had a good day that day, Brian Royal, Richard Cousin, Michael Ford, Stephen Wallace. Steve McPherson was up and about on the day, and he's a key player in the yes, story that we tell. Yes, yes. Mark Hunter, John Georgiadis, and um, Tony Liberatore was also yes. in and about. And there were also some um, interesting pickups as well. We picked up uh, Fabulous Phil Cracker as well for the 1991 season. He, uh, he was uh, a great little pocket nugget um, near the end of his career. And, um, and so we also had uh, Matty Hogg uh, with his long, long locks uh, before he went on to, to Carlton. And, uh, and and the people's known as Denny Delray. Oh, cult, cult hero, yes. Denny Delray. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And we also had um, up-and-coming stars. So we had Scott Wind, Stephen Colby-Nook, Jason Charles, Liam Cameron, Chris Grant, Matthew Croft. So a real mix of experience and, and young up-and-coming stars in that team. But it, it wasn't um, a day to display the great skills for any player. It was a wet dow of contest. Um, the doggies were obviously in ascendancy. And the challenge of the day was to ensure that Carlton uh, was kept to uh, zero goals. And, and how did it go, Nick? Well, it's um, like I said, it, it's, it was a bit tricky starting off. Carlton were having the ball on the forward line, but they just weren't able to get uh, get any uh, any ascendancy on the, on the scoreboard. Uh, the Dogs were able to keep 2-5-17 in the first quarter. Running into the second quarter, um, the, I think the Dogs started and did get the win. Wind and uh, and they were then able to sort of continue on during that kicking a bit straight of that in the second quarter, uh, kicking additional two goals, one uh, to get the lead going into half time by twenty three points. Um, we it was uh, at that time, if I remember correctly, it was a time where we we're going, oh okay, this is a bit special, this is a bit nice. But they're starting to see. Um, well, you don't see a game often where one team doesn't score a goal. Um, I think if you look back on the records. Um, the last recorded game where a team didn't score a goal was in the 60s. Mm. And the last time 
and scored a goal it was in eighteen ninety seven or something. So um, it was also, I think, playing into a bit of the uh, working class uh, spirit that was around the club at the time. We just um, staved off a, a merger. Um, I think we had uh, you know, Carlton and, and, and more um, senior clubs giving us a bit of a hard time about the facilities and the ground that we had. Yes. Anyone who came to play at the Doggies during winter would have to play a different style of football and would have to play the Doggies way. It was always a big trip over the Melbourne to, to head down to the West Oval. Um, looking just looking over at, at the Carlton side, they, they did have some some players that were going to be quite prominent in a couple of years' time. Um, so you did have um, Stephen Kernahan, his brother uh, David was there as well. Uh, Justin Madden was uh, was over two hundred games worth of experience at that time. A uh, young Simon Minton Connell had just come over from uh, from Tasmania. It was in their team. Uh, Brett Ratton and Michael Sexton was starting his career as well in his first season there, and uh, and Stephen Sulavani was in the back line as well for that season for that game. Um, they had. You know, David Park and that stalwart um, coach um, who had been you know, knew what he wanted from his players and, and it was from that um, that uh, John Kennedy yes. era um, of coaches. So he was there um, well into his sort of career there. Um, oh, and Mill Hannah. Mill Hannah was floating around with his long sleeves and... Very like, distinctive. Very distinctive. Can't miss him. Can't yeah. distinctive. Chances you'd get in the boats with a head like that. Yes, and that, that's probably one of the reasons why he went that short. Um, so heading into the third quarter, uh, the dogs again continued with, um, to have better control. Um, 6 8, uh, 48, 44, sorry, going into three-quarter time. And Carlton was still nine, nine uh, minors. And at nine points, and that was really starting to get um, sort of get a bit bit, bit argy bargy. I don't think uh, Carlton supporters were liking that. Uh, the the few that were that trudged down to Wet Noble, um, but it was starting to go pretty good. And going to the last quarter, um, it was looking like it was going to happen. Yeah, the tension was all around. Can can the doggies keep Carlton to only a points um, score? Can we stop them from kicking any goal? And it was a feeling around the crowd, but also on the ground itself. So I think there was a real um, uh, desire from the doggies mm. to keep Carton down to make sure they didn't kick a goal. Um, how did the last quarter play out? It looked like it was going to happen yeah, right to the death. It did. That, um, there was a bit of back and forth uh, leading up to the end of the game. Um, and then Carlton sort of got the ball on the wing, on the, on, on the, on the um, Witten Grand stand wing, Grandstand wing. And uh, the ball went forward. Uh, the ball went towards Marcusari. Uh, now Marcusari, uh, one of the fifty nominations for Italian Australian BFL team of the century, unfortunately didn't make the team. Got bumped out by Tony Liberatore. Uh, uh, but um, he was a very uh, short player, one hundred and seventy mm-hmm. centimeters. Yep. Played for Carlton and, and then went to North Melbourne. A couple of teams, I think it was St Kilda as well. Yeah. Um, but so it, the ball went forward. Uh, there was a little bit of a grab from Steve McPherson. Did you watch the replay? Was, was there a free there? I'm telling you, there was a bit of, bit of jumper pull in there. Well, it's so. interesting because it's always that scenario where uh, there are the, the, in this case, Carlton player's got his hand in the chest of McPherson and McPherson sort of looks like he's grabbing his arm. And the question is, does he impede him going for the mark? Because he doesn't take the mark in this case, but it's awarded a free kick 40 metres out from goal. Um, and Stephen McPherson was dirty as with that free kick. 
Absolutely dirty he was. He was ropeable. Yeah. He was not very happy with uh, we had umpire Goldspink and McKernan, Anton McKernan down that time. Um, was not very happy at all. So Marcus sorry lined up, 33 seconds to go. 40 metres out with 40. a wet, sodden ball. Yes, the heaviest ball that was running around in the AFL that week. Um, kicked truly, went through, went through. Quite and did Harry Stephen McPherson respond to that, that goal? Was he happy about it? Uh, he went and set a low to Mark. He went and very straight. Straight. Not, not, straight. not something you see every day that uh, someone uh, kicks a goal as a forward and, you know, the yeah. guy comes in and remonstrates against him for kicking a goal. So he wasn't too happy at all. Um, and so there was a bit of, um, a bit of um, further sort of altercations between McPherson and a couple of other players. He wanted to go on with it a bit. Yeah, I think so. I think that was, he was getting, right, he wasn't too happy at all. He was a bit, bit dirty himself. Uh, I read an article uh, with a bit of an interview with, with uh, Tony Libertore and he was talking about... Um, about Steve person he says um, Super was really upset. He wasn't happy. Uh, he wasn't happy man after the game. But any time we keep, uh, but um, any time we keep coming to one goal or no goal, it was a great feeling. So really, in the end, it was um, it was it was a, a dog of a day. The dogs got up really well. It went down as the number eight moment in the Western Oval. That's right. So it was a big moment for the Bulldogs to to stand up against a a powerhouse at the time, Carlton. Yes. Uh, For the votes, just for those people who like to hear a bit of the Brownlow, the votes, where is it? So um, Terry Law also invited uh, supporters into the club rooms to join in with the theme song. Not something you see these days at all. Uh, but was a, a lot about the spirit of the club following the 89 fight bag. Yep, absolutely. So uh, Simon Atkins got three votes that day, so he had a, a great game. Uh, Glenn Coleman, um, great recruit from um, Sydney, I think we picked him up from, and he's been, he was a bit of a travelling fella. And coming in for that last vote was uh, one Stevie Mack. Yes, yeah, super. So, um, maybe upset about uh, giving away a free kick in the last quarter. Yeah, it might, might have been a bit of a sympathy one from the umpires there, but uh, he did play quite well uh, that day. I think he well. was probably there, and the umpire was probably in the original position. Yeah. Right? I think the funny thing also is that Stephen first at three-quarter time said, don't let them kick a goal, don't give away any stupid free kicks in the last quarter. Yeah, so there you go, irony for Super Mac. Um, we, we've um, covered that, that game, and uh, uh, thanks, Nick, for um, doing a bit of homework on that one. Um, do we want to pick up another prelim uh, at the next episode? We can go into the 90s. Well, let's go 92, maybe. 92 is next week, um, next season. So, uh, and we were building from that uh, fight back 89 and, and the, the Terry Wheeler um, yeah, era yeah. of the Bulldogs. So, um, first bit of success, well, let's look at, uh, we'll look at 1992. Yeah, so just to um, round off uh, today's episode, we just wanted to have another look at Legends of Bulldog Past. Um, this, uh, um, this, um, um, episode we're looking at a, a champion of the 19, late 50s and 60s, um, uh, John Schultz, um, who is well known to all Bulldog supporters for his part as a mentor um, and a club supporter in the uh, 2016 final series and grand final win. Um, John Schultz, uh, born in uh, 1938, he was 191 centimetres, 6 foot 3, 89 kilograms, uh, played from 1958 to 68, 188 games, 37 goals. He talks about having um, consecutive games, 169, um, and he was also vice captain for nine years. Brownman medalist in 1960, five times Charles Sutton medal winner, 60, 62, 
and from 64 to 66, All Australian Team 1961, Victorian rep for 24 games, three goals. Um, his background in terms of when he was younger, he, was, he um, played briefly while at school at Caulfield Grammar and the Waffer. Um, he was known as a um, quite a talented um, athlete at school, a high jump champion. Um, but he was going to play for the, um, one of their senior sides and broke his arm in the first five minutes of a practice match and spent a year out of play and went back um, to his hometown of Port where he was recruited. Um, there's a couple of different stories about his um, recruitment from the, that countryside. Um, one that the doggies tell is that in '57, um, recruiting scout and Edwards um, stopped in a clash between Charlton and Board. Asked the locals who should he look out for in the game, and they said keep an eye on the uh, blonde-headed young boy in the ruck. Um, there's also a story that um, John Schultz himself tells in an interview with Rex Hunt. He talks about um, seeing a couple of scruffy, uh, scruffy-looking fellas walking in the middle of the township, um, going into the bank. Uh, he worked at the bank at the time. Um, he looked at, with his um, workmates and looked a bit worried about who these gentlemen might be. Uh, they, they, they weren't robbers, they were talent scouts, they wanted to chat to him. Um, so there's a couple of different stories about that, but regardless of, of the, the, the true story, he did get it, um, to join the club in 1958 as a key ruckman. The top man he was, and I think people know um, from um, interviews or from some of the um, coverage of him during the 2016 final series, he's a gentle giant. Um, in his playing days, he was always known for his fairness. Um, he was a great ruckman. Um, he was a great tackler, an elegant mark, and um, gave out hard and fair bumps. Um, and he, um, for his time, had great stamina. It was a bit of a template for what the future roving ruckman would be like. Um, there's a little bit of footage out there for the fans and the listeners on YouTube. You can see some of um, some of the quarters or some of the snippets from the games he played in. He dominates the ruck. Um, if you watch the footage, um, he's someone that the doggies would have loved to have in every position across the ground. He was a strong contested mark. Um, he was a big presence. He uh, dominated tap tap outs um, around the ground. Um, as I said, he won the Brownlow Medal in 1960 um, by one vote from uh, Fitzroy's Kevin Murray. Um, and um, the club um, with him in the team found some success in the 60s. In 61, um, made their way into a final series. Um, they had their first ever prelim final win against Melbourne um, in the prelim. Um, this meant that Melbourne's run of six consecutive grand finals it came to an end. Came to an end, and um, they had been in the finals ever since '54. Um, that was the Norm Smith era, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, the Dogs put it into that. Mm-hmm. Um, Schultz and that game was best on ground. Um, that game is also remembered for Merv Hobbs. Uh, mark over the Melbourne Ruckman Johnson, which um, is that image that you see uh, plastered across memorabilia for the doggies. Um, it was dubbed the mark of the century at the time, so a, a small rover um, leaping high um, above a, a Ruckman. Um, 61, um, the doggies had adapted a really fast playing game with a flick pass, if you remember, yep. and they made their way, um, beat Melbourne through to a second grand final. Uh, they faced uh, Hawthorne, who were playing their first grand final, um, and 100,000 spectators um, went to the MCG to see the, to see the clash. The Hawks, at the time, were um, dubbed um, the Commandos for their uh, revolutionary fitness and innovative fi- fitness regime. They were strong, they were fit. They were um, one well. of their players introduced circuit training um, mm. as part of their fitness regime, and so they were probably the strongest and the fittest team going around in '61. And that really bore out how the game played. The doggies um, were able, th- 
for some of um, their legendary uh, team. Ted Whitten, Merv Hobbs, John Gillard, Bob Spargo, Graham Ion and Johnny Hoyles um, able to, to take the lead into halftime. But by that stage, they were pretty much spent. Um, the, uh, the second um, half of the game, the, the, the stronger and fitter Hawthorne team ran over the doggies and, and won the day. Um, there was um, some comments reported in The Age uh, in 2016 of Greg Barn, um, where they talked to some of the key players, shared their memories of the day. Merv Hobbs said the day was hot, and even though they'd be led by eight points at half time, we knew we were in trouble. Um, there were eight, eight of us in the first eight room at half time. Schultz said the selectors looked around and could see we were in all in a bad way. In those days, we didn't hydrate, we didn't drink water. They were worried that if we drank too much, we might get a stitch. <laughs> uh, we just ran out of legs and Hawthorne were brutal on the day. They made every contest a physical clash and they wore the doggies down. Um, Chilty, um, he, was, he played as an amateur, which was pretty unusual for the time and, and for any time. Um, he played his entire career with uh, the great Teddy Whitten as his captain and coach. He retired in 1968 at only the age of 29 to help his family manage their grocery business. Um, his retirement sort of started a new era in doggies. Uh, Gary Dempsey had started to play around the same time with his retirement and took yep. over with the rucking duties. Um, in 96, Schultz was inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame and uh, a great citation for his introduction. A rucking giant who never let the side down set the standard for the modern ruckman. In 2002, he was named in the back pocket of the club's <coughs> team of the century. And since then, he's been heavily involved in the, uh, the doggies as a mentor to the playing group and would greet the players coming into the rooms after every game with a warm word and encouragement. Um, Robert Murphy, Bob Murphy, says um, he used to get an email from Schultz in 1516 uh, after each game, and that was a real highlight for him. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll probably note that he was also um, you know, given the great honour of handing over the Premiership Cup to Woody and, and Beveridge and, and Murphy in 2016 and, and that iconic image of Big Shieldsy, um, great legend of the club, and mm. the Premiership will, will sort of be etched in everyone's mind. Yeah, and he was a, a gentle giant of the Bulldogs um, and he is one of those great clubmen. Um, he's he had a great role in the Past Players Association as well. Um, so he's always been about the club, um, even after his retirement. Um, he was, he, like you said, he, you'd see him um, sitting at the sand at the side of the race, cheering the boys back in after each uh, training session. So um, a great, great um, bulldog, um, a great leader, um, and um, a great ruckman. Really, he, he's and those, all those accolades that, that you talked about. He's he's Brownlow. He's he's five best and fairests. Um, all Australian, that Hall of Fame induction, it really sort of says you know, the, the quality of a, of a player he was. Yeah, and if you ever have a look at um, any of the um, match reports from his era, uh, from those important games through the final series in 61, there was a number of night premierships that I always picked up in the 60s, mm-hmm. or any other game that you might care to look at, he's always in the best. Um, and that consistency is what is reflected in his citation in the Hall of Fame never letting the side down. Uh, he was a leader on and off the field uh, and someone who will be um, much loved um, through through coming years um, and in the memories of Doggies fans. Um, so 
that brings us to the end of our um, scheduled uh, uh, items for, for this episode. Um, we do want to make another call out for any Doggies fans to give us a bit of an idea of any superstitions they might have. We'll put out the call again and, and share some of those in the next session. Um, yep. We'll look to uh, the AFL, um, AFL men's comp and see how we go in the next couple of rounds. Um, and then we'll also look at some other great Doggies from, from, from the past as well as picking up some of those um, prelim heartbreak uh, yeah, recollections. Terry May, Billy Brownless. Here, yeah, let's not bring him up anymore. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's all wrap it up. Um, it's great chatting with you today, Jace. Um, we should have a great time. We'll see you and uh, we'll chat in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Mr. Murray. See you next uh, episode. <laughs> Like this, but they can't be the boys.